0: We'll be in Revelation chapter 11, if you want to open your Bibles. We've been putting together a chronology. We've been putting the events in order, filling in the gaps, trying to gain an understanding of what the tribulation will look like. And we're to the point where we have a lot of information, so I went ahead and made this chart for you. It it folds up and fits nicely inside the first chart, which gave the correlation of the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. And you can look on here, and maybe you'll refer to it during the sermon or look at it later. The, the bottom part, the red and the blue and the green, that's things we haven't talked about. Things Some will come today, some will come in the near future. But this is uh, kind of a timeline of the tribulation, so keep that handy. I'm not going to go through it much uh, publicly, but use it to help yourself gain some understanding. If you have questions, feel free to ask. We are in chapter 11 today. We're about halfway through the book, and we're at one of those pauses, a pause where we gain information, where we're actually today going to look back, and we're going we're to see some of what has, has happened while the things we've already studied took place. So we could call this chapter a look back, we could say that there's a pause, and this is, by the way, what you didn't know, I'm going to tell you now. And so we're going to approach this, it's going to take two weeks to get through uh, the first lesson in this chapter, so maybe today will be a little shorter because we're going to break it into two parts, I'm literally going to just stop halfway through, and and then we'll pick it up next week, so don't miss next week. What I want to do today, I've actually put the scripture in your notes, but please have your Bible there too, you might want to mark something in your Bible, underline something, but... Uh, There's just a lot of things to talk about, and and like I said, this is a look back, so we're not moving forward in the timeline, we're actually looking looking back, we're filling in some gaps, learning about some things that weren't mentioned yet, and, and you can see that on the timeline I gave you. So, Revelation 11, 1 and 2, it says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. We'll stop there. Now, I don't know if anything caught your attention when I read that, but something is mentioned here in this passage that we haven't heard one single word about in the first 10 chapters, and that's the temple. Did anyone catch that? He said, go and measure the temple. Now, is there a temple today? The answer is no. Has there been a temple for a while? No. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So nearly 2,000 years there has not been a temple in Israel. And in their world, for John as he wrote this, and as the people who read it for the first time, it had been 25 years since they had a temple. So they have the reference of the temple, but they don't have a temple. They are not able to do sacrifices. They are not giving their offerings, and that will continue on. So, in some ways, it's the same now as it was then, but it's a much clearer reference to them. So, where did this temple come from? We should ask that question, where did the temple come from? And and let's just answer that as we go through the notes. So, number one in your notes, what I know. And that's how I'm going to break it down today. We're getting into the weeds of Revelation. Uh, The list things I know... Because we're told. And then there's some things I think because they make sense, because they fit the context, because there's other clues in Scripture that lean that direction, but I can't be dogmatic about. So I'm going to break it down now, at least today, into what I know and what I think. And if you know me, I'm not going to tell you anything I think unless I really think it. So it's just one step below I know. And I'll argue with you if you want. But if I get to heaven and God says, You are so wrong. I'm just going to go home. Man, I'm sorry. Because I know it could happen, right? So I'm going to tell you what I know, and then I'm going to tell you what I think. So what I know, number one, there is a working temple. There is a working temple. It it didn't say, we're going to build a temple, or we're going to start a temple. It says, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. So there are people worshiping in the temple during the tribulation. There are are people making sacrifices, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the goats, bringing in the rams. There are people uh, bringing offerings in. This is all taking place. So the temple is not only built, it's functioning as it did in the time of Christ or in the Old Testament. And so this is happening. This would be mind-blowing today. If we turned on the news or, or, or opened YouTube and looked at the news and, and discovered the temple is being rebuilt, it would be mind-blowing because right now where the temple would be built is a giant dome that is a center of Arabic worship, Muslim worship. And so for the temple to be built, that would have to come down. And just think about what's happening in Israel right now, the war that's being fought the the constant threat of war the the constant conflict there's no way in the world as we could picture it that anytime soon that dome is going to be moved and a temple's going to be built so that's a mystery we don't know how that's going to happen we don't know when that's going to happen we don't know for sure now Daniel 9:27 it's mentioned in your notes i'll read it to you this is a big clue I'll, I'll read a portion of chapter of uh, verse twenty six. It says, "The people, excuse me, the people of the ruler who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary." So this is prophecy from Daniel, about the same time period, and it says, "The ruler who will come." We have been calling the ruler who will come the Antichrist, because the Antichrist is the name we have in Revelation. He is, if not possessed, at least controlled by Satan. So he is a human person who's in charge, the ruler who will come. He'll destroy the city and the sanctuary. Moving down to verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So Daniel is also prophesying, prophesying about the end times. Okay, it's an overlapping prophecy. And he says he will confirm a covenant. Who will confirm the covenant? The Antichrist. The Antichrist will confirm a covenant. We might call that a treaty today. Or in more modern terms, we might, covet, might call it uh, an accord. We have the Camp David Accord. We have the Abram Accord that's recently been signed. We have fancier words. It's basically a treaty, an arrangement an agreement that we're all going to hold ourselves to, a contract even if you want, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. I don't want to get into it, just take my word, that's seven years. One seven is seven years. It's a a common reference in Daniel, it means seven years. So there's going to be a seven year treaty, seven year agreement, okay, in the middle of the seven, which would be three and a half years in, not exactly three and a half, we can't Calculate the day and say on Tuesday, this date, this is what's going to happen. But in that middle range, there's a three to five month middle range, which you would call halfway, somewhere in there, okay, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. So Daniel's telling us that there will be sacrifices made, there will be offerings given in a functioning temple in the last days, in the tribulation, as we call it. And at three and a half years in, after this covenant is made, the the, the reigning authority, which is the Antichrist, is going to come and stop the worship. Stop the sacrifices. Stop the offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. You probably heard that word. An abomination that causes desolation. He's going to, in the Jewish mind, ruin, wreck, desecrate the temple. He's going to make it... uh, Unworthy, unclean, unuseful. Okay, and that's going to be the case. He'll continue to do that until the end that it that is decreed is poured out on him. In other words, till till he gets what God has promised him. And we haven't gotten there yet, but it's it's just punishment. So Daniel nine twenty seven in your notes, the Jewish temple will be functional or operational until the three and a half year mark of the tribulation. Sometime in the third year of the tribulation, temple worship will be stopped by the Antichrist. He will will go in, he will take over, he will stop it. It won't be a suggestion, it won't be a request. He'll stop it. 1,290 days later, about three and a half years, you can write this on your notes, it's actually 3.45 years later, Okay, not quite three and a half, 3.45 years later, 1,290 days later, the abomination that causes desolation will occur. So, there's going to be, its worship will be stopped. It will be stopped for about three and a half years, almost three and a half years. Really, nothing will be happening, but it will be under the control of the Antichrist. And then the abomination that causes desolation will occur. What is the abomination that causes desolation? Well, we're going to read that in Second Thessalonians. 2, verse 4, again backing up one verse, verse 3 identifies the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. Same person, Antichrist. Okay? So verse 4 says, "...he," who we know is the Antichrist, "...will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God." So once again, we're talking about the end times, the tribulation. We have a temple that is functioning, and we have the Antichrist stepping in and setting himself up to be God. So he's been in control for almost three and a half years. At that 3.45 year mark, he's going to go in, and he's going to do something to proclaim himself to be God. Why would the Antichrist do this? Because the Antichrist is either possessed by or controlled by Satan, and Satan has always wanted to be God. This is the last hurrah for him. This takes place right before the bold judgments come. So we're hearing about it. We're hearing about some part that's been in the past, and we're hearing about some part that's in the future. So in your notes, the abomination is the Antichrist setting himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. The ultimate blasphemy. You can see why they would think this is a bad idea, the Jewish people. So number two of things I know, that's all number one. There's a working temple. That's what's going to take place in the temple. Number two, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt before or at the very beginning of the tribulation. We know this because these events happen in the tribulation. Now there is a scenario where that, that coalition government takes over that we talked about, immediately they have to solve the problem of religious faction in the world, because now we are talking worldwide, and they have to solve the problem of the Hindus, um, the Muslims, the, the Jewish people, and, and the Buddhists, and everybody. The Christians are gone, because the rapture took place. So they have to solve this problem. And there is a scenario where very quickly they build the temple, to, to make the Jewish people happy, to solve, to solve their part of the equation. And so they build it super fast. I don't know if it's true. It could be conspiracy. It could, it could be one of those things we shouldn't believe when we read it on the internet. But it's possible, and they say it's true, they meaning people that write things on the internet, that all the elements for the temple are built and in storage, ready to go. There's no reason why they couldn't be, There's no reason why they wouldn't be. And if this is the scenario that they need to build a temple fast, it's very plausible they could do this very quickly. So it could be right afterwards. Or it could happen before the rapture. And there's nothing to say it can't happen before the rapture. What that scenario looks like, I don't know. It it would involve a a huge uh, kind of uh, appeasement to create peace, where the the Muslims would move off, the Dome of the Rock would be moved somewhere else, and the temple could be set up as a a show of good faith in order to say, hey, we're going to get along together, Uh, this is going to be great, we're willing to make the sacrifice. So a a, a great move of peace, a a move to, to settle things down in the Middle East, that could happen. It could also happen as a result of war. Where Israel has is finally had enough and, and they simply destroy the Dome of the Rock and, and, and taking over the land they build their temple and then they keep it either scenario is possible we can't really see either one happening today but as we know the world changes quickly doesn't it there's things going on now that a year ago we would not have thought could be happening um, we never thought that Russia would invade another country like they did or that Ukraine could survive. really never thought that Israel would be attacked like it was, or that they would be caught off guard, or that so many people would die. A- and now we have this thing going on, and who knows where it's going to escalate to. There are scenarios out there that the temple could easily be built and functioning before the rapture. One year, ten years, a hundred years, a thousand years, we have no idea. So it doesn't really matter when it's built. All through Scripture in the prophecies, there is a temple, and we know about it. And like I said, the reason that that would be allowed after the rapture, why they would be allowed to continue on, the Christians are all gone, so that nuisance is gone for the Antichrist. The Jewish people are a false religion just like the Hindus, just like the Muslims, just like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and all these groups, they're all false religions. If you really think about it, Satan is ahead of each and every one of those. So if they need to get along, they can get along. The Christians are the problem because we're the ones that say there is only one Jesus and there's only one salvation and there's only one gospel and there's only one God. With, with, With the Christians out of the way, Satan can do a lot of things with the world religions. And so there's lots of scenarios. We don't have to know what they are, but we know that it will not be something Satan's against. He will simply create a a more sufficient way, a more efficient way for himself to be worshipped as God, which is his goal anyway. So number three in your notes, things I know, God is measuring the temple. We know he's measuring it because he told him to go measure it. And here's, here's the reason why. Because he's about to take it back. Here's here's the scenario we might relate to. Um, you're going to build a house. You're going to buy a house. You're going to rent an apartment. You're going to buy some land. What's the first thing you want to know? What's the square footage? How big is it? What's the layout? I want to know exactly what I'm buying. I want to know where it is. I want to know everything about it. Now God knows how big the temple is. That's not the point. He's not not going up there and going, I need to write this down. Uh, John, go measure that for me. Be careful because I need the right number. No, God already knows. God knows the answer to every question that he asks. God God knows the outcome to everything he commands. When he told Jonah to go to Nineveh, he knew he was going to go the other way. He's not surprised by anything. So God doesn't need to know. So what do we need to know about being measured? God's measuring his house that he's about to take back over. And it fits perfectly in the context and in in everything we've talked about. He made his proclamation that that victory is mine. And now he's measuring his house that he's about to take back. And he's doing that while at the same time letting us know that the Antichrist has taken over his house. he says, you're going to have it for a while. Matter of fact, it's going to be 1,260 days. I know exactly how long you're going to be there. And then it's going to be mine again because I'm taking it back. So he's going to take it back. We know that. Number four, we know the current residents of the temple, identified as they in the scripture, they are, uh, they will trample. Okay? We know who they are. The current residents of the temple, they will have it in their control for 42 months, which is exactly three and a half years. 42 months. Who is the They those who are serving the Antichrist. The Jewish people who are practicing a false religion, who, who are going along with the Antichrist, he says, you know what? No more sacrifices, no more offerings. Uh, that, that's done. Uh, I, I'm going to be in control of the temple. You guys just maintain it. And, and anyone else who's a part of it, we don't know what he's going to do there necessarily. We don't know what it's going to be used for. But those people, they're going to get it for 42 months. So the second half of the tribulation... They're going to be in possession of the temple. And God tells them, this is how long you get. So the current residence will be there. That's what we know from those two verses. Now here's what I think. And I hope you think what I think, because it would make life a lot easier. Number one, the outer court, or the Gentile court, is excluded. Okay, do you remember that? It says, "Go measure the temple of God and the altar, where the the sacrifices were made, with its worshippers but exclude the outer court. He doesn't want the outer court measured. So I believe the outer court is excluded because when God takes it back, there will be no outer court. The entire world will be the court of believing Gentiles. So when the temple was functioning, there was a place where Gentiles could not go. There was a Holy of Holies in the sacrificial area and there was a place where only Jewish men could go. And then there was another area where unclean Jews and Gentiles and visitors could go, and that was the court of the Gentiles. That's the outer court. And God says, measure the temple and the altar and where the worship takes place, but don't measure the rest. I believe he's not measuring the rest because there's no need to because that wall, if it's still there, it will only be a symbol. The wall won't be there anymore. When it's all said and done, every living person on earth for at least a moment in time will be a believer and the outer court of the temple will be the entire world and I think that's something we're supposed to realize and that's what I think number one, the entire world would be the court of the unbelieving number two, I was coming two through eight or nine but I chose to make a paragraph so we'll read this, mention things as we go, number two, what I think this is putting the story together from everything we've studied, putting it together After the rapture, a worldwide coalition government was set up under the subtle and unnoticed control of the future Antichrist, seal number one. One aspect necessary for the success of this government is to remove religious tension. Think about it, we have more wars fought over religion than politics. Okay, think about it. With the Christians gone at the rapture, all false religions will unite probably under a universalist banner. Universalism is the idea that we all serve the same God anyway. You worship your way. I worship my way. There's no reason to fight or argue. All paths lead to heaven. That's universalism. So they'll unite under a universalist banner. And at that point, it will actually be true because the God they're serving is a false God. His name is Satan. And so they will be all together. So they will Continuing on, function independently, but without hostility. There's a false peace. There's a false peace. They're all getting along. There's no more religious issue because the Christians are gone. Part of this arrangement will be to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple and reinstate sacrifices. So I think the best scenario was that they rebuild the temple very quickly after the rapture. That's what I I think will happen. I could be wrong on that for sure. Eventually, even false worship of the true God will be unacceptable to Satan. It will be unacceptable. So the Antichrist will stop the sacrifices at about three and a half years into the tribulation. Then towards the very end, right before the bells of wrath, that's our next leap, we will, he will actually declare himself to be God. And when the Antichrist declares himself to be God, that is Satan declaring himself to be God through the person of the Antichrist. This has been Satan's goal since his fall. And thus commit the abomination of desolation. There may be other things involved. There may be some false sacrifices going on. There may be other things, but that's, that's the thing that, that ruins the temple and signals the very end. So now back to our text, Revelation eleven three 3 and 4 says, and and don't miss the small words, and, so the last thought and the next thought are connected. And I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in, clothed in sackcloth. That 1,260 days, 3.45 years, not quite 42 months. So the temple will be run by the antichrist for 42 months for nearly that time but not quite 1260 days these two witnesses will be there clothed in sackcloth that's a symbol of mourning about what's happened and what will happen okay verse four these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the lord of the earth we'll stop there So the end is important because we know these two things are happening together. They're actually happening simultaneously. The Antichrist takes over the temple. The two witnesses start to preach. The Antichrist is in the temple. The two witnesses are outside the temple, perhaps even walking around the temple or walking around the courtyard of the temple. They're they're right there. It's really obvious these two people don't agree with what's going on inside, and it's really obvious that people inside don't want these two people there. We'll we'll read more about that later. Okay, the and is important. The timing, 1,260 days. We'll see next week why that's so important. The sackcloth, their mourning. Okay, what we know. During that same time, God gives the world... I want to emphasize this again. This is worldwide stuff going on now. This isn't national news. This isn't news from abroad. This is worldwide all happening at the same time. Okay, during that same time period that God gives the world an unbelievable opportunity to hear the gospel, recognize God for who he is, and repent of their sins. Remember, the theme of Revelation is evangelism. He wants us to know that he's doing everything he can for people to get saved. Now he's going, in. by the way, when the Jewish people thought it couldn't get any worse, and when it seemed like it was really bad, I also gave you two witnesses who preached the gospel for almost the entirety of that last three and a half years. And believe you me, they will make the news. Because they're going to try to kill them multiple times. That's part of the next week's text. They're going to try to kill them, but they can't kill them. They're going to do really strange things, like they can breathe fire out their mouths just enough to kill somebody. And that's going to be on the news. And the news is going to be like, who are these people? What are they all about? We've got to get rid of them. And they're going to try to kill them, but they can't be killed. And all of a sudden They die. And, and you won't tell the whole story, but things happen, and these people are on the news, so the message is going out. Plus, there are Christians living on the earth, and they will have YouTube pages, and they will have ways to communicate, and they will get the message out. They will preach, and that will be broadcast. So, all over the world, people are going to know about this. Okay, we know that. Number two, their witness is to the whole world, but primarily directed... To the Jewish people, primarily directed to the Jewish people, which makes sense because the Jews are God's chosen people. We know that because the titles in verse 4, the two olive trees and the two lampstands, those are quotes, those are titles from Zechariah 4. And I'm not going to read you that, you can look it up. But the title of that chapter is The Gold Lans- Lampstand. And the two olive trees. And so Zechariah is recording prophecy, and he's talking about a message going to Israel, and the messenger giving the message, and and saying, you need to listen. Israel, repent, or you're going to be judged. That's the message. It's the same message now. Repent, because judgment is coming. So B, the concept lets us know that God is calling out once again, specifically to the Jews, okay? Okay? So those phrases tell us, it's specifically to the Jews, and this time there are two lampstands. So there's uh, there's another lampstand, there's two witnesses, two lampstands. And so you can say the message is twice as loud, twice as dramatic, twice as heard, twice as known. But this is God getting the gospel out to the world, and there's there's a reason for it. Revelation 11, 9 and 10, this is how we know that the message gets to the whole world because the entire world heard their message and hated them. When they finally do die, they have a celebration and they give gifts like Christmas. Hey, did you hear the two witnesses are dead? I got you something to celebrate. Oh, I got you something too. Isn't it great? They have this Christmas-like celebration. And, and it says they, they, they were hated all over the world. So the message goes out to the world. It is for the world but it is also specifically to the Jews, which is not that uncommon. The gospel message went first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It started in Jerusalem, and it's made its it's way all over the earth. This is nothing new. Nothing outrageous. And then number three, the third thing I know, this period of time lasts right up to the very end, just before the bowl judgments. And that's the next part of this timeline we're going to talk about. It's going to be a few weeks, but that's where we're heading next. So here's what I think. As soon as the sacrifice is stopped in the temple, God takes the opportunity to speak once again to the Jewish nation, revealing that Jesus is the one true source of their sacrifice. Here's the scenario. The Jews are are making sacrifices, they're they're giving offerings, they're doing everything they've always done to win God's favor. And, and it's better than it's ever been as far as they can tell. It's wonderful. It's great. This guy they call the Antichrist, whatever they call him, he's our hero because he set this up. And now we can worship freely. And we're not afraid of the, the Muslims anymore. And, and the world is a great place to live. And wow, this is awesome. And then he comes in and he stops it. And now they're faced with the dilemma that they had when Jesus was sacrificed. The veil was torn, remember? And then if not that long later, the temple was destroyed, and they're faced with now, what do we do? And God is using that opportunity; He's setting them up to to realign themselves with the idea there needs to be a sacrifice, to realign themselves with the idea that an atoning sacrifice has to be made. I'm not good with God unless a sacrifice is given for my sins. And then these two witnesses are going to stand outside, and they're going to say something like, "You need a sacrifice; it's already been given." Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. He died on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to die for your sins. You can have a relationship with Him. What went on in there is false. What's going to go on in there is false. What happened so many thousand years ago on Calvary, that was true. Give your heart to Christ. They're going to proclaim this for nearly three and a half years. And it's going to be on the news and it's going to be on all the media. So God is saying, uh, this is an opportunity. I'm going to create this opportunity to get the, get the uh, attention of the people I chose to represent me, the Jewish people. He wants as many of them to be saved as possible, as well as the rest of us. Number two, what I think, using mass media, I think this is the key here. Using mass media, God gives the entire world the opportunity to see God's power, hear of God's grace, and choose to follow him. He gives everybody a chance to see this. Nobody has to miss it. And then number three, one message we are supposed to glean from this is that man is without excuse. Man is without excuse. It says it in Romans. It says it in other places. Man is without excuse. Just, just a, a surface review. God says that the knowledge of God is within all of us. And He says that knowledge of God that's within us is triggered when we look at Creation. We can see God in the stars, in the planets, in the, in the plants, in, in ourselves, in our humanity. We see God in ourselves as the image of God. It's plain that God exists. God has made himself known to us, and everyone is without excuse. Now, you and I have a lifetime. We have a lifetime to figure this out. We're not guaranteed how long that life is, but we have a lifetime. I've had 54 years or so on this earth to figure out who God is and respond to him. I don't know how many you've had. I don't know how many it took. It only took half a dozen or so for me to to realize God is God and I want to be on his side. I want my sins to be forgiven. So at about age six, I was saved. Some of you might have waited a while longer, but you had your lifetime. These folks don't have a lifetime. So let's read the second half of number three. Even though facing a countdown to destruction, seven years, We're given a lifetime of evidence in just a little over six and a half years. Isn't this God? Isn't this sound like God? He said, you only have seven years left, six years left, five years left. We're down to three and a half years left. You only have three and a half years left. I'm going to give you so much evidence. What I've already given you in this first five, three years has been plenty. But I'm going to give you so much more that there is absolutely no doubt who I am. And now those passages make sense. Where they went through this trial or that trial, they had this plague or that plague, this, this thing happened, earthquakes, um, the fire from heaven, all these things happened, and we now we know why it says, like, like in verse 26 of chapter 10, the rest of mankind... They were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of their work of their hands, and did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone. I believe it was seal number four at the end, and it said, They went into the caves of the mountains and said, Fall on us so that we don't have to endure anymore. Rather than say, God, I believe, forgive me. They said, I'd rather die than follow God. Because they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on because God has been cramming the evidence of a lifetime into six years. And, and that's exactly the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of God I want to know. He doesn't give up easily. And even these folks in this short time are going to have a lifetime of evidence. Yet even though I'm really excited right now, that's where we stop. Application. the rest of the chapter application. That all comes next week, so don't miss. I'm simply going to pray and we're going to leave. Father God, thank you for all this so much we've learned and there's so much to learn. Thank you for being who you are. It is amazing what we learn in Revelation about your character and about your heart and what you're willing to do to to, to cause people to trust you. Father, I pray that we will trust you with all our heart, soul, and mind today ourselves. Anyone who's not saved, let them ask the right questions of the right people to find out what that means. Holy Spirit, work on our hearts. Bless our week. Let us come back next week for the the rest of this chapter. In your son's name, I pray. Amen.